0: Music
1: Hello and welcome to The Athletic Soccer Show. My name is Michael Zimmerman, and I am pleased to be joined today by the voice of the Premier League on NBC Sports, Rebecca Lowe. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here.
2: Oh, it's lovely to be here, Michael. Thank you so much.
1: So at at the time that we're recording, we're a little more than halfway through the Premier League season, and I wanted to start out with how unusual of a season it's been, not only with on-the-field results, but we've had a month-long break because of the World Cup. How have we seen players and teams, and also people in the media affected due to this unprecedented schedule?
2: Well, I think it's the season that's never going to end, number one. I can't believe we're like only just halfway through. From my perspective, purely from broadcasting perspective, I've really enjoyed it because it's just been different. Having that break um, has added a different dynamic to the way that some clubs have dealt with managerial sackings, transfers, um, form has been really interesting. You know, you had the weird situations. Some teams were really good before and then fell away after the World Cup. Other teams like Leicester were really poor at the beginning. Then they found their form and now they're poor again, you know, so except last weekend. Um, So it's kind of almost inexplicable. I don't think anybody, because we haven't got any previous history, Michael, of how this affects teams, it's hard to really predict the rest of the season based on the World Cup. But the weird thing about a World Cup is, my goodness, you forget about it quickly, don't you? I mean, when you're in it, and I was lucky enough to do a podcast during the World Cup, so I absolutely lived every single day of that World Cup, you feel like when you're in it, it's never going to end. And then the World Cup ends, and you're like, this is going to be the talk of town forever. And now you're in early February, and you're like, Oh, yeah, there was a World Cup, wasn't there? I forgot about that, because everybody just regrouped so quickly to the Premier League. So I just, I don't know whether it's had as big an effect as I thought it would have on results. I don't, I'm not going into every weekend and coming out of every weekend, Michael going, oh, yeah, that's the World Cup. I feel like it's kind of, we've absorbed it, really. Maybe come April and May, we might see a few drop-offs from certain players who could be exhausted, but so far, Nothing really
1: okay. Well, so we, we've we seen Arsenal's resurgence under Michael Arteta, Erling Holland's historic goal scoring. Uh, you know, that those have been two of the many storylines from the first half of the season. Yeah, for you, what has been the standout storyline from the first 18 games or so?
2: I mean, there are, oh gosh, there are so many, and that's why we love this league, right? Because there are literally storylines at every club. But for me, if I had to pick one, Michael, as much as I would love to go for a Brighton or a Fulham or a Brentford, I've got to go for Liverpool. I mean, what has happened to to have such a drop-off? And actually this season has felt like, and maybe it is the World Cup, I don't know, but this season has felt like the season of sort of the whole thing turning on its head. So you've had Newcastle who've gone from okay, to to really, really good. Last year, West Ham were really, really good. Now they're struggling against relegation. You've had a number of these clubs who, and it's kind of makes a mockery of that situation when we say, oh, it's a project. It's going to take years to them, for them to get where they are. I mean, Arsenal haven't taken years to go from fifth to first. They've gone from fifth to first in a season. Now, Liverpool yeah. have gone from going for a quadruple to right now trying to stay in the top 10. That for me is the story of the season because As much as I read, as much as I listen, and as much as I ask about why, no one can really give me an answer as to why this has happened. Ultimately, we're a bunch of human beings. They're a bunch of human beings. And sometimes people are just off their game from top to bottom in the club. It's a weird story, but that, for me, is the biggest story.
1: Well, you mentioned Liverpool sitting mid-table. So are Chelsea. And Brighton, Brentford, and Fulham are all exceeding expectations, sitting in the top eight. I not not just on liverpool but is there a particular reason as to why we're seeing so much parity in the league this year
2: Uh, i don't know is the is the the plain answer is i've no idea i'm so so surprised at brentford brighton and fulham but there's something in common that those three clubs have and that is a manager who is on the training ground we've seen these managers who don't always coach as much as manage De Zerby, Thomas Frank, um, and Marco Silva are the real training ground managers. And they are all getting really excellent results based on excellent coaching. And it's almost, things go in and out of fashion in football quite a lot. Um, that has been a reason why they've done so well. But in terms of why, I don't think there's, you know what, the Premier League, my God, it's like a kind of, planet of its own it does it has its own weather systems it has its own ups and downs it's a kind of a weird bubble that, within it it's hard to explain why a lot of things happen a lot there's sort of mini perfect storms chelsea is a mini perfect storm of negativity right now liverpool the same and then you look at brentford it's a mini perfect storm of positivity it's almost hu- it's hard to explain without just listing there are so many reasons there isn't one overarching reason um i think you have to look at each club in as an individual, to, to realize why they're either doing really well or they're doing really badly. It's just one of those seasons. And I, for one, love it when it's like this because it gives it an injection of freshness.
1: Well, I, I think you know, looking ahead, we've got the, the title race where Arsenal's starting to, to uh, widen the gap a bit. Race for the top four is on. Race for the European spots are on. What are a few storylines looking forward now that you're going to keep an eye on for the remaining uh, season?
2: The number one is arsenal that is as you mentioned there. can they do it can they hang on can this young team who haven't won a title i don't think pretty much between them find the gumption that they need in this final run-in i guess of 20-odd games or just under um that's the headline of course if they win the league from fifth to first it's humongous um whether those three we talked about brentford brighton fulham can they really get a european place that's something i'd love to see um, so I'll be keeping my eye on that, keeping my eye on the Chelsea-Liverpool duo of surely they're not going to finish 9th and 10th, so that's another thing I'm really interested in. The bottom is interesting because normally by now, I think Southampton are going to be the team to start to get cut adrift, and I think last weekend it just started to happen, but above them, it is so tight all the way up to Palace. Um, who feel like they've been 12 since they started the season? They're still 12, but they are being sucked in. If you look at the points um, total, that bottom half is fascinating too. Um, I tell you, everywhere you look, I could give you a storyline. I mean, I've only picked out four, but I could give you another six. I love this division. It's just got everything you could ever want, isn't it? It's like the, it is the gift that always gives every single week.
1: Oh, it's the entertainment factor. Right? Everybody's going to be glued in. So. Uh, Zooming out a bit, the ever so complex topic of soccer culture in America is brought up seemingly every single week by fans. How would you best describe the soccer culture from your experience here in the United States?
2: Well, I would describe it, Michael, as being totally different to the country I moved to 10 years ago. The Premier League, there is no doubt, has become the leading division in the world of soccer in this country mls is growing it's doing great things usl below it grow i mean growing at the rate of knots and i'm just talking men's football for a second let alone women's which is also growing now we have a usl woman coming in uh, 18 months time but the premier league because of the content and the product itself it's a juggernaut and that has and i do think NBC's coverage of it has really helped to bring in a whole new audience I mean we just we're breaking records at the moment for I think the the last two weekends have had have been the two most watched Premier League games in the history of this country um the Arsenal Man United game and then the Tottenham Man City game last weekend you know we're pushing two million viewers that was not heard of 10 years ago so I think I would describe it as growing 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 being probably the only section of sporting audiences that are growing i mean nfl is where nfl is going to be yeah the other three i mean football's in my opinion football's bigger than ice hockey and i think that you would you can see that from the stats and not only average attendances major league soccer is bigger than actually major league soccer's average attendance last year is bigger than major league baseball and nba and nhl not sure about nba actually but definitely nhl and mlb um, so in, in terms of attendance at Major League Soccer, it's it needs more credit, and then in terms of viewing figures, bigger than um, NHL for sure. So it's just you just describe it as a really interesting time because there aren't many things left in America or the world, but certainly left in the United States with this level of growth. But with this so much um, expanse and, and space to grow into, you know, this is this is nowhere near where it's going to be in a hundred years. I mean, imagine um, so few things these days have space left to grow, especially something as big as football that we you know that we see around the world. Everywhere else is saturated with football, not in this country, and that's what's so exciting and that's what's so attractive to owners and to broadcasters.
1: Well, what are those next steps for the growth? Um in i i'll keep it strictly to the premier league here in the u.s what are the next steps uh of growth that kind of need to be done maybe following the 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 english model because it's so hard because us fans aren't weren't born and raised in that culture we're kind of latching on a little later in our lives so what's that next step of step of growth that's more natural over in the uk than it is here
2: It's, it you're right that's always going to be the problem for uh, a Premier League fan here in the US um i think the premier league is very focused on the united states it's very aware of how much untapped possibility let's put it that way there is here how many hundreds of millions who don't yet have a team and i think you're going to start seeing the clubs come over more i think you're going to start seeing more pre-season friendlies and tournaments in the United States, even more than we've seen in the last 10 years. And I know you get two or three coming over, but I think you're going to get more. I am not going to... um, I know a lot of people will hate this, especially people in the UK. I don't think we're that far away from there being a Premier League game in America. And here's why. All you need is 14 out of the 20 clubs to agree on something, OK, for something to go through in the Premier League. Well, I don't have the number to hand, but we're not that far away from 14 American owners. There is no way on this earth that 14 American owners, when pre- presented with an idea, why don't we do a Premier League game in America, are going to say no. That's partly why they're doing it. They're trying to spread their brand, grow their grow their brand bigger and bigger and bigger. And there is so much, as I go back to it, untapped money and untapped potential in this country. So I don't know when. But at some point, Richard Scudamore, the chief executive of the Premier League back in the day, suggested it and got absolutely pilloried for it. I think we're coming back around to that idea at some stage. It will be deeply unpopular in England, but it will help to grow the game in this country. I mean, other than that, these clubs are just realising the scope and it will just be continuing to be the good broadcasting, good access to allow these fans to feel more connected to their club than ever before, I think they're doing a good job of it right now. When we do the fan fests, that really helps to get connected to their their clubs. It's just time, you know. You can't do it overnight. Small steps get to big, big prizes.
1: Well, speaking of those fan fests and and your NBC broadcast, what's a Premier League morning like in studio for you? Take us behind the scenes into your preparation for a broadcast.
2: Okay, well, preparation basically, I was going to say never ends from the previous week. So what day are we on today, Wednesday? So my preparation never ends. So there isn't really a beginning point because as soon as I get home on a Sunday night, I'm already thinking about the next week because you know, Michael, as well as I do, there's a storyline every 10 minutes. So. I am constantly listening to podcasts like yourselves and like all all the different sporting uh, football podcasts. I'm listening to talk sport radio all the time. I'm reading, I get clips sent to me every day with all the best articles. I'm reading the Times, the Telegraph newspaper. I'm every day keeping across and absorbing all the storylines. So that happens during the week. We have conference calls, Wednesdays, uh, Thursdays and Fridays. And then I I head for work and I live in California. So I fly to the East Coast on a Friday lunchtime. Um, And i am trying to go to bed as early as possible on a a friday night because the alarm goes off at 3 30 a.m on a saturday morning and we are i'm in there hair and makeup at 4 30 and i'm in rehearsing at six now between 4 30 a.m and six i'm in the makeup room at some point two whoever's on robbie robbie tim danny whoever it is will come in get themselves ready but we'll have a little chat we'll have a conversation about what we're going to open the show with so I'll make some suggestions. I'll have had a think. what's the biggest topic this week? What a, What is our opening chat going to be? We'll have a little chat about it. I rarely tell them what I'm going to actually ask them because it's nice to be fresh, but we kind of get the gist of what their opinions are. And then I'm in the studio at six to rehearse for an hour between six and seven, and then on air at seven, and then off air at three, at which point it's back to the hotel, quick run in the gym, Quick bite of something to eat and then I sit and I catch up on any other storylines or any fallout from that day. Um, prep all of Sunday's show, all of their stats and how we're gonna open the show. Bed again at about seven thirty eight, because the alarm goes off about four Sunday morning, do the whole thing again, fly home Sunday night, and then it just carries on every week, but forever, forever, ever, ever it feels I mean, like those those
1: those early morning wake ups in addition to that jet lag must be must well, be do you tough. Know
2: what? I'm not sure the body quite knows what's going on because I'm living in California time, flying to New York time, but working on British time. So I think the body's given up on that a long time ago. It just does what I tell it to do. So there actually, is no, time. I no, live. I live somewhere in the sky on that kind of time because it. I don't know it just it works all I can tell you Michael is I need my sleep so I will sleep on the plane on the way to work I will get my eight hours every night when I'm there and I'll sleep on the plane on the way home I am just rip Van Winkle as we say in English um, that's what I I prioritize my sleep and my job when I leave home and it's I kind of compartmentalize between my home life when I'm just a mum Monday to Friday and then my work life where I'm purely the host and it's kind of nice to separate the two yeah.
1: Well, because soccer is such still a relatively new sport to most Americans, how do you go about balancing the two audiences of newcomers who are still learning the sport, clubs, English football and culture, and the fans who follow every single weekend? Do you have to kind of have a mix of maybe a little teaching to also respecting, you know, the knowledge of of those current fans who have been around a while?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question and it's something that we addressed from day one nearly 10 years ago. We said, "Look, let's let's There's no way that the fan base in the United States back in 2013 was anything other than really uh, educated, full of knowledge and all in on football. So we knew that. But then we, like you said, knew that we had a whole other audience we had to attract. And actually, whilst that was probably at its height back then, every week we're still getting more fans. I meet fans at FanFest who say, oh, I've only been watching it the last six months, but now I love it. So it reminds me that we are still in that position of, We know there's an educated fan base who don't want to be talked down to. But then I've still got, you know, John and Emma who want to come on board, who just have started watching. How do I balance? And how you balance is football's a pretty simple game, isn't it, Michael? I mean, let's be honest, you don't have to really, really explain every rule. It's pretty easy to pick up. So when you're broadcasting, I think the best thing to do is the the things that you need to educate people on who are new to the sport is the history and the rivalries and that kind of who's used to play for this club and that kind of thing. And I think you can just drop them in, in a natural way, often using the phrase, as you may know. And that way, if you say, as you may know, you're not offending the people who do know, but you're educating the people who don't know, you know, you're sort of striking that balance. So that's constantly in my mind. You know, we don't sit there and say, now this is offside because his, you know, we don't do that, but we, but we, enough for somebody who is new to understand what we're saying it's a it's a hard balance but it's one that mbc take very very seriously from top to bottom um and so far i think it's worked because we are gathering more and more new fans with every passing year
1: have you had americans come to you and ask you for advice of getting into the fandom of the premier league maybe like what clubs to choose maybe how to start following um the league
2: yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, mainly, mainly the question is who should I support? And so mm-hmm. then we have the fun of, okay, let's talk about, tell me about your life. You know, do you have any link to England at all? You know, anything at all. We'll just latch onto it. Like your granny's brother lived in Newcastle once and right. Newcastle's your team. So we tried, I tried to find a link, even if it's tenuous to give them a team because once they have a team, Michael, you're all in because yeah. it's, it's that kind of feeling of being part of a family. There are other people I know who watch just because they love lots of teams or like seven or eight different players in different teams. But on the whole, once you found your team, you do really feel part of it. So I try to encourage somebody to really take a team. Um, and then I just say to them, look, it's not gonna be difficult to follow. You're just gonna follow them on social media and you're going to, and I'm gonna post every week what channel you're on. Are you on NBC, USA Network or Peacock? And we are gonna talk about your team every week because we talk about all 20. So it's not gonna be hard to follow. Just come with us on our little trip and then I'll see those people one or two years later, and they'll just be absolute you know, mega fans, um, because it's not difficult to become a mega fan. I mean, we show every game, we give you a ton of coverage, we don't just skip from game to game, we do post-match, we do interviews, you know, we try to give you a rounded view on your team, whichever team it is. So I think living in this country now, if you have yourself a team, it's pretty easy to follow how they get on and, and their ups and downs over the course of the season.
1: Well, I, I kind of want to wrap up with with this, and it's 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 a little bit of a fun one. You've done remote broadcasts at so many different locations. What's your favorite ground that you've covered a match for uh, at NBC?
2: Oh, good question.
1: And and, and uh, I'm guessing Crystal Palace is going to be. Well, unfortunately, dancer. Michael, I
2: am, I am in I am dispute with NBC at the moment because we haven't yet done a game from Crystal Palace. I, of course, have been to Palace many times, and I keep saying to NBC, I promise you, if we do a remote broadcast from Palace, it won't let you down. Yet to actually get there with NBC. So that's on my
1: list. Even um, with the Ted Lasso connection, there's got to be I some don't Trust
2: me, I am trying. I am pushing for Crystal Palace on our next England trip. Um, it, a lot of it depends on what, how the fixtures fall, or well, that's what mm-hmm. they tell me. Um, I love always going to Old Trafford. I just think there's something about Anfield actually and St. James's Park. Those would be, be although the Tottenham's new stadium is pretty good too, but those first three that I said, when I used to be the sideline reporter for ESPN back in the day uh, before I moved to America, those were the three places that you walked into, St. James's Park, Anfield and Old Trafford, and you were like, Oh, oh, this is in the. This is like in the fabric of the country. These three stadiums are so ingrained into the cities, they're so ingrained in football, you feel it. You can feel the richness of those three stadiums and the atmospheres are all different, um, but I, lo- I love them all, I absolutely love them all. Tottenham's new stadium is a little bit like, whoa, blow me away. Um, but I would probably, if I was absolutely pushed for one, I'd probably actually have to say Anfield because the atmosphere at Anfield, when they're doing well, Um, is second to none because of where it is in amongst all the streets and it hasn't moved and because how close everybody is to the pitch and it's not a brand new I like the old stadiums I think I'd go Anfield yeah
1: as a Liverpool supporter that's kind of what I (laughs)
2: want
1: well we're all looking forward to seeing how the Premier League season unfolds as we head into the home stretch and you can watch Rebecca and the rest of the NBC Sports Gang on NBC USA Network and Peacock Rebecca thank you so much for taking the time to chat and hope to speak to you again real soon
2: Michael.